Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name's Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in our bonus cast. Woo! So this is the uh, episode we told you about last time where we've got some cool kids that are going to hang out with us. And we are here with our friends from Casters Guild. And we're going to turn things over. I'm going to turn things over to Liz and let Liz MC, And then we'll let those folks introduce themselves. So we are here today with Rick Perry and Baron Kane from Casters Guild. This is a really cool podcast that we've been into lately. Um, we're just going to, I guess, let you guys introduce yourselves. Who are you? What is your podcast all about? What are you in for? <laughs> I'm innocent. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Baron. All right. Yeah, I'm Baron Kane. Um, as you know, I am one of the guild masters at the uh, Casters Guild, making this interdimensional trek to uh, talk about these wonderful, wonderful and horrible movies. Yeah, I also like to interrupt my other guild master as much as humanly possible. And I am guild master uh, Rick Perry. <laughs> yeah, we're basically a, a geek culture podcast, uh, interdimensional travelers. We talk about anything that can be considered geeky or nerdy. I mean, like if you have a take a look at our podcast page, you can scroll down, find something that you like, pick that episode and see if you like us from there. We talk Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Marvel, books, movies, video games. If a geek or a nerd likes it, we talk about it. Rick and Baron, if you could give our listeners an idea, what is your background with sci-fi and fantasy? Uh, what was the first element from this genre? Uh, have you been fans since you were a kid? What was your the first thing that kind of really struck your interest in this genre? Um, I will say that it, it's it's very, very vivid to me. Um, my uncle was giving away a bunch of books and uh, I was probably middle school at this time and I got to pick through a lot of them. Uh, me and my cousin actually were both there picking through the books and it was a lot of fantasy books. Reading it just become like a big thing to me. I started reading a lot about that time and the first book that I read out of that bunch was Dragon's Gold by Piers Anthony and Robert E. Margroff. I was hooked, immediately hooked. Um, he had D&D books in there, like from, he was a big dragon fan. So anything, any book with a dragon on it, he had. So I had Spellfire, which is a Forgotten Realms book with a Draco Lich on the front. I had Dragons of an Autumn Twilight, which is Dragonlance, all kinds of books. But my jerk cousin took half of some of those collections. So I had to go back and like, I even had some where I started the series second, third book in uh. completely lost, still loved it. But yeah, so that is, that is exactly where my love of fantasy started. How about you, Rick? Um, I would say my love of sci-fi and fantasy actually probably started in the video game world, um, with the Nintendo entertainment system, mm -hmm. um, legend of Zelda, the original, but when it comes to books, I was a big fan of the Animorphs series as a kid. Um, <laughs> and when I say big fan, I mean, I had 
shelves full of these books. And then people would see me reading these and they're like, oh, you like sci-fi, you like fantasy, you should check these out. And then that's when, you know, other books get, you know, dumped into my lap, like uh, The Hobbit, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, classics like that. And it got to a point where I was just always reading something, you know, uh, throughout my school life. I was just kind of addicted to books. So I'd grab everything up from trash to classics to whatever I could get my hands on. And how did you guys start podcasting? How did you start this project? Uh, the You know, the short answer is uh, the global pandemic. Um, uh-huh. And we were looking for something to do. But that's not really... It's what I tell people a lot of times, but it's not really the truth because we s- decided to start recording a D&D Let's Play right before the pandemic. Like we had no idea what was about to start what was about to hit us. So us and some friends got together and started recording this D&D thing and then I talked to Baron and I was like, you know, we could also just kind of do a podcast. Let's just like talk about stuff. And you can even hear on our first episode, we were surprised by the pandemic that had just come in. We're like, you know, we don't know how long this will last. We don't know how long we'll be dealing with this. But, you know, uh, and obviously we were dealing with it much longer than we anticipated. But I think that's one of the reasons we were able to stick with it so hard is because, you know, there was nothing else going on for quite some time. So we decided to do it just before the pandemic. Just we were recording other stuff. We had... We both wanted to get into a creative project. We were like, why not talk about geek culture? And then we get hit with a global pandemic. And all of a sudden, everybody's got time to be on our podcast. So that's that's where it went from there. It's the perfect time for us because our basements are already awesome. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you guys talk a lot about D&D on your podcast, among other things. And I wanted to know because... Chad and I have a really awesome campaign going on right now. And I want to know, like, what's the, do you have a campaign going on right now, either of you and any good, you know, 15 seconds or less, but crazy stories that have happened in your current campaigns? Uh, well, I am really only playing in a steady D&D game right now. And it's actually for another podcast. But I, I think that... um it's basically, it started out, we were in the Forgotten Realms, and then, but we didn't know that we were in Forgotten Realms when we made these characters, mind you. But we made these characters, then they're like, well, we're in the Forgotten Realms. Okay, sure. <laughs> then we had someone drop out. We did a soft restart. We went to Dragonlance. I don't know why, but I was playing a Kender anyways, so sure, why not? Um, and uh, I think uh, my favorite part of that last game was we were about to get hired to go and fight werewolves. But my character is a bit of an eco-terrorist, so I ended up wanting to side with the werewolves. <laughs> nice. So. Rick, any good any games going right now for you? Unfortunately, I had to cancel my most recent D&D campaign because between... February and the beginning of June, we only met like twice and we were doing weekly. So it was just one of those things where I was like, all right, obviously this isn't working. Let's cancel this. And I'm going to try to start something again soon. But we were doing a campaign uh, that started with the small adventure from the D and D essentials box, which if there's anybody who wants to start playing D and D or start being a DM, I would highly recommend picking up that box. 
Um, it's very new DM friendly and very new player friendly. It's super easy to pick up and play. And if you like the small adventure that comes in it, it continues that adventure with free modules you can get on D&D Beyond. So that's what we were doing. And me, I like to run pre-mades. Uh, I was the dungeon master for that, by the way. I like to run pre-mades, but I always do a lot of heavy customization. Mm-hmm. So in that one, I had written in to where one of my players had a very tragic backstory where she had lost her, uh, I think it was her fiance at the time. Um, and then, you know, he had died. And so I brought him back and he was basically going to end up betraying her and becoming the BBEG. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was probably going to be my favorite part, but we didn't, we didn't quite get there. We got to the point where she had just figured out he was still alive. So Chad created this creepy female demon type creature named Gresh Metalbump. And he made her so creepy and so weird that at one point in our campaign, I literally caught my notepad on fire from a candle and didn't notice <laughs> that I was literally on fire because he scared me so much. Was it him? And for was, it, was it him or was it Gresh? <laughs> It was Grash. It was. Mm. It was Grash. <laughs> Maybe a little of both. <laughs> but we don't usually get to talk about this stuff on our podcast. We're a we're a book club. We try to stick to the topic. So it's fun to get out there and uh, go a little off topic with you guys. So that brings us to what we're actually here to talk about tonight, which is our least favorite and favorite fantasy and sci-fi adaptations. So. We're going to start with our least favorite, and I want us all at the same time, count of three, we're going to say what our least favorite is, and if it's all the same one, then I'm going to um, send everyone a pizza or oh, something. It, oh, well, <laughs> now I want that pizza, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be, I promise. I don't think so. Okay. All right. Least favorite fantasy or sci-fi adaptation on three. One, two, three. Three. Dragon Ball. Twilight. <laughs> My title is really long. <laughs> All right, we didn't get the pizza. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. Me and Rick both said something with dragon in it. We yeah, did, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I went to the Pizza Hut thing, you know, all through school, and I never got that pizza either. Oh. So I'm just saying you're. Oh, I definitely got those pizzas. <laughs> you never got the book it pizzas? Oh, oh man. Every, oh, man. I, I mean, I was always. That's, so, that's why I'm so fat. It's book it pizzas. <laughs> but, but a little bit off topic, but just uh, tangentially related. I actually read the books of the Bible for the book it pizzas. Oh, that's wow. cheating. Wow. That's cheating. I mean, that's heavy reading. It is. It is. <laughs> when you're in like fifth grade, yeah, it's it's really heavy. <laughs> wow, that's cheating. Okay, so Baron, yours was very long. Say it. What it, what was it again? I only caught the end. Dragons of an autumn twilight. Oh, oh, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Please continue. Let, lay it on us. Yeah, keep. Let's keep that so, rolling. Dragons of an Autumn Twilight. I I brought up in the uh, in the story of how I got my books and everything on on purpose, very much on purpose, because they made a movie adaptation to this. It was animated, and boy was it horrible. It kind of followed the plot, 
you figure with everything else being bad, they should at least follow the plot. Not really. The animation was... Okay, you know what? I'm going to say all this stuff, and let me tell you, this. it hurts my heart to say this, because I know there are a lot of people that put a lot of heavy work into this, and I'm not trying to poo-poo all over their, their work, but guys, ask for more money next time, please, and then put that work into it, because the animation was horrible, the, 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 uh, the voice acting was horrible. They had... They had some named celebrities doing it. Kiefer Sutherland did a voice in this. When did this come out? Oh, it was, was 2000 it something. Oh, that, that late. <laughs> yes. Okay. You know, it definitely looks like it came out in like the 80s or 90s. <laughs> it, it looks so old. I was actually at a great big bookstore they have in Tennessee recently called McKay's Books. It's a used book warehouse, but they also have movies, records, stuff like that. So I was looking through their DVDs and they had that right next to the Dungeons and Dragons Saturday morning cartoon. And for half a second, I thought they were like the same thing. Like that's how similar and like bad it looks. It looks like that Saturday morning cartoon. 2008, by the way. Wow. wow. And listen, the books came out in the 80s, right? Kiefer, yes. Yeah, oh like yeah, 80s, definitely. 87 something. Mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland, Lucy Lawless, Michael Rosenbaum, Michelle Trachtenberg. Wow. <sighs> like I said, these are names. There were names in this. That's where Ugh. all the money went. D. Bradley Baker, why? <laughs> <laughs> Phil Lamar. Oh, no, Lamar. I, I lost respect. Yeah. I gained respect. Nah, I can't lose respect for Phil Lamar. I gained a little respect for this movie. He's probably the best part of the damn thing. We guild the creed that we, we have to give credit to the Mandalorian to Phil Lamar. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Because of Phil Lamar, the Mandalorian happened. Mm-hmm. Well, that was um, going to be my next question. Is there anything redeeming about it? Phil Lamar. Phil Lamar. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's difficult to think of anything else. Have you ever watched those animes where it's like you get the regular anime kind of animation and then out of nowhere, like one of the robots is a weird CGI? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all the draconians oh. in, the, in the dragons. It's like they go to that weird CGI. It's like, guys, Maybe perfect that tech before you try to do this, please. Uh, it was bad. Bad. Oh, and it's disappointing when it's your when it's a treasured childhood mm-hmm. memory. I have a feeling that's going to be a theme here. It sounds like one of those things where somebody had a license and they wanted to use it before they lost it. <laughs> yes. So something as quickly as possible. Yep. I wonder if it was about the time that Wizards of the Coast took over TSR. <gasps> Oh, wait, mm. no, no, no. Wizards of the Coast, was, Wizards of the Coast was doing third edition and third edition came out around 2099, something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they, they had. Well, maybe they got it in motion as soon as, uh, you know, maybe that's what it was. Maybe because it takes a long, long time to do cartoons, especially so if they were doing drawn animation and CGI back yeah. then. Yeah. All right, Chad, lay one on us. What is your least favorite? So I I said Jaws. Jaws is not a fantasy adaptation. That's bold. I mean, come on, it has sharks. Hey, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Let's let's check the guild decrees. Is Jaws a kaiju? Oh, 100%. 
The hundred percent Jaws is a kaiju. Okay. If Big Bird is a kaiju, Jaws is a kaiju. I mean, they're not real. Babe, sharks are real. They're real to me. (laughs) I have to leave the podcast now. (laughs) No, on on a serious note, uh, not joking around, for very, very similar reasons, but an older version of of what uh, Baron said, because I'm older, the original Hobbit cartoon. Oh, no. It is unwatchable. Well, hold on. Do you mean the Hobbit cartoon or the Lord of the Rings cartoon? Oh, I'm sorry. The, the, the Lord of the Rings cartoon with the Leonard Nimoy and the weird live action mixed in with cartoons. The, rotoscope, the rotoscoping? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was unwatchable. Yeah, it, it is completely different than the Hobbit cartoon. That's the Rankin and Bass kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank, thank you for the clarification. No, no, no. Because um, I hate it too. That's why I needed to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and although it didn't have nearly the amount of star power that the uh, Dragonlance one did, it did have Leonard Goddamn Nimoy. Leonard, he had a Bilbo Baggins song for God's sakes. Yeah, and and honestly, the only part of it that really is redeeming. Is the is the audio? It's you mm-hmm. know Leonard Nimoy's voiceover, and and even the even the music is is pretty good, but mm-hmm. every visual element is so horrific that you just can't watch it. And it sticks pretty. It sticks okay to the plot and the storytelling mm-hmm. in the beginning, but then like halfway through, it just gives up. It's like there's no way you're still watching. <laughs> there's no way. At least not if you're an adult who has, you know, any sort of long-term memory. You're not going to remember this. I don't remember all the details, but I've seen interviews with, like, the director and, like, creators of that. And you can blame that 100% on studio interference. Like, uh, yeah, and I'm not surprised. Yeah, the studio came in and was like, no, you have to do this. They even made them change uh, Saruman's name halfway through. Right. Because uh, I think it... Oh man, I have to look it up again, but I think they made him like put a Z in it or something like that because the studio came in and said Saruman and Sauron are too similar and you're going to confuse people. So they made him change Saruman's name. More like a studio exec was like, uh, is this the same guy? And they were like, well, we can't, we can't make him feel like an idiot. So yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. We can't make Johnny feel like an idiot. (laughs) He's bankrolling this. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, there's not really a whole lot of reason to to dwell on it. It happened. We got better and they made a real adaptation later. Yes. Yes. And I love that we're all I can tell we're all positive enough people that that this is we're not really wanting to bag on anything or anyone, but you know, this is just our personal least favorite. Oh yeah. You and know. I will and I will bash the money 100%. I, I mean, I, I I have a lot of experience with like someone that is bankrolling somebody something, and mm-hmm. then they're like, you know what? I want to feel like I've had some kind of creative control. Mm-hmm. I want this aspect changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you sure that's integral? I'm paying for it. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> sure. <laughs> what about you, Rick? What was your least favorite? Dragon Ball Evolution. 
Okay. Tell I mean, us, tell me more about that. So oh, technically, okay, this, this, I'm, I'm sneaking this in. No, 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 no. It, it's a manga. It counts. Exactly. Okay, yeah. no, it definitely counts. Technically, it is an adaptation of the anime, but the anime is an adaptation of the manga, so I'm counting it. Um, I'm giving it to you because I have a technicality as well later on, so go. Nice. (laughs) Dragon Ball Evolution uh, took the manga, took the anime, took the characters' names, and then threw out literally everything else, and then wrote their own movie. Mm. The story is not the same. The characters are not the same. I mean... Uh, Son Goku is played by some Caucasian teenager. I will say it's good to see that Piccolo got a job in the Obi-Wan TV series, though. I mean, they painted his face white, but, you know, good <laughs> for him. Good for him. Yeah, they, they, they brought in the Demon King Piccolo, but they gave him, like, the story of garlic, kind of. But then, like, they also made it so, like... The Izaru, which is the monkey that Goku turns into, they made it so Izaru was like a servant of the Demon King Piccolo, like, <laughs> and it it made zero sense. They turned the Kamehameha wave into airbending. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it, just anything you could possibly hate about that series. I have no idea who was making these decisions. I locked a lot of this out of my memory and it's all coming back now. And I don't know how I feel about you right now. It's bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. You have to wonder who are they making things like that for, you know, not Dragon Ball fans. Right. We're going to make this movie and try to get money from Dragon Ball fans. Only we're going to, just absolutely make it nothing like the source material that they love. It's not like people who didn't love that source material are like, hmm, I think I'm going to dip my toe into this. I just think it has to be a complete disregard for the audience. Mm-hmm. 100%. Look, it's- basically, they got a hold of the license. They were like, they basically weren't trying to get Dragon Ball fans at all. They were trying to get people who had never heard of Dragon Ball before for some reason to come and watch a Dragon Ball movie. And I I don't get it. Look, as soon as they didn't choose Stephen Chow as a director, I took it as a personal insult. So so my my least favorite, it's a little interesting because I don't have any, I didn't have anything that really came to my mind as like I have a deep visceral dislike <laughs> for. And I I don't know. I like to like things. You're, you're a good person. You're a good person. It's yeah. not that I'm a good person, but that I'm I'm I very low standards for entertainment. Like <laughs> I really do. But one adaptation that came out recently that I was really looking forward to that I felt a little let down by was Wrinkle in Time, which oh. was one of my I don't know if anyone saw that movie, but it was one of the first science fiction books that just captured my passion as a as a young child. I loved it. I was so excited for this adaptation and I left the theater just really disappointed. And I I it took me a long time to put my finger on why because there were elements about it that I loved. I thought a lot of the acting was go- Chris Pine for God's sake. He's my favorite <laughs> Chris, you know, was in this movie and uh there were a lot of things I loved a lot of the casting, some of the acting was good. But, you know, for me, it it felt thematically gutted. You know, I feel like, first of all, as a kid, one of the things I loved about, and I don't, I don't know if you guys have read Madeline Langell or any of her stuff, but she, she I'm going to say she talks science-y, okay? 
She, I felt, read her books as a kid and I never felt talked down to, you know, she would throw out words like mitochondria and I'd be like 10, That's like the powerhouse what? of the cell. Yes. I'm like, I know what that is. What? You know, I, I, <laughs> I felt so smart reading her books, you know, and, uh, thank you, you know, for the naming point, the only thing that I know, by the way, thank you. Well, you know, you know enough. You now. read my notes. You read my notes. <laughs> You know, I, I felt like that part got really kind of cut out of the movies. You know, Meg's love of science. And at one point in the books, she her knowledge about the periodic table like saves the day. Just taking those little things out of the movie, for me, that was a lot of what I loved about it. And, you know, they also kind of like, they really took a lot of scariness away from the bad guy. The bad guy in the books is this giant like brain that wants to make everyone the same. Okay. So it like, it's all about if you, if you give in that the bad guy is called it. All right. And if you give into it, it'll make you happy, but you'll be the same as everyone else. So for me, that was the theme that I connected to as, as a preteen who felt different from everyone. And that like, you know, you're at that part of your life where you're like, am I just going to be myself? Is it okay to be myself? And that book just, it was hugely impactful for me. And so I I wanted that message from the movie as well. It just kind of got neutered. I felt like in favor of the CGI and, oh, look, we have Oprah Winfrey. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't an unredeeming movie. It was still it was fine. Again, I, I feel like for me, a function of how disappointed I was um, is directly related to how much I loved the book as a, as a child. And I saw, I saw that in all of your, I think in all of the things we picked, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. As a side note, just so you're, if you if you guys aren't aware, um, Chris Pine's farts smell like biscuits. Oh, good to know. Fun good fact. Fun yeah. fact. Should have them over more often. This is a a, a, D, a down low kind of Chris Pine fan podcast. It is very low, at actually. least on on this side of the table. It is. Below the belt. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Did anyone have any other any kind of a second place? I, I do have a second place and an All honorable right. mention, actually. Oh, let's hear it. No, well, second place is Aragon. Oh yes, but I. I that's not I didn't have that up top because that seems to be because like I, I was again doing a little bit of research. I was like, man, everybody thinks this movie sucks yeah. because it did <laughs> because it did. It's, ba- it's a bad movie. <laughs> right. I was like, I mean, it's a bad movie. Uh, it's watchable if you haven't read the books. But right. then you read the books and realize how thoroughly they gutted this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you know that there were elves and dwarves in the book? <laughs> no let's go well there are but they're not in the movie it, it was just horrible just just bad they could have went so many wonderful directions with that and just just tanked and then my honorable mention okay this is this is where my technicality comes in you ready ready the the new clash of the titans oh the new clash of the fantasy titans. yeah and, definitely and I, and, and and i know what you're thinking but Baron, isn't that just a remake of a movie? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But that's also adapta- uh, adapted from, you know, stories, Mythology. which are, right. were originally all oral, but were eventually written down. But but yeah, so it counts. But oh, man, that movie sucked. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, 
I didn't even see that movie because the first one is such a, an integral part of like my my childhood development mm-hmm. that I knew there was no way. There's right. no way well, anyone's going to remake that. And, and and let me tell you that that original Clash of Titans, great, right? Loved it, right? So far away from the original myth. It, it, it's I mean there are, there are some aspects of it that are you know they correlate, but just so far away. But then this new one just got even further away. I was like, man, if mm. you're going to remake a movie that is already so far away from the source material, at least, you know, be true to the original movie. Mm-hmm. But nope, you had to put gin in it. Gin, which aren't <laughs> even ancient Greek. That is no, not no. Greek at all. Yeah, no. the move would have either been to stay close to the original movie, or if you were going to go away from the original movie, then go closer to the source material. Right. And they did neither. Neither. So, Why aren't we being hired? Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> but let's be fair. If I did get hired and a studio exec gave me thousands of dollars to make it his way, I would. So yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, one thing I would like to say about my number one pick, the one good thing that came out of Dragon Ball Evolution was around the time that that movie came out, uh, there were a bunch of kids who grew up on Dragon Ball, but then they started to see other animes and they all wanted to pretend that they were too good for Dragon Ball. Okay, Dragon Ball cool. became like the anime that everybody was memeing. And it's like, oh, it's just somebody screaming for four episodes straight. But as soon as that movie came out, all of those fans came back and started to defend Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have Dragon Ball Super and things like that. So mm-hmm. I'll true. take it. For my number two pick, my wife would kill me if I didn't bring up Queen of the Damned. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Good Lord. Terrible movie. Good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Very good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Y- yes, that was a terrible adaptation. Anything in particular that stood out to you that you would have changed? It, the entire character of the vampire Lestat. Yes. Like a- every decision they made about Lestat for that movie was yeah. incorrect. The interview with the vampire wasn't like a 100% faithful adaptation, but I think Tom Cruise's Lestat was way better than what they portrayed in Queen of the Damned. Yes, I am 100% with you on that. And for my uh, honorable mention, I'm going to say the 2000 uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie, and I will be taking no questions. Oh, you don't have to. That is a horrendous... (laughs) waste of celluloid so it was also very close to being on my list (laughs) that was a bad one i don't remember why but for some reason i had to watch that i cannot remember why because i can't conceive of a circumstance now (laughs) where anyone would require you to watch it but for some reason i did hey you know D D nerd i was all about it uh, well, and as a D&D nerd, I still hated it. I still had, couldn't, I had a hard time getting through it. Might I recommend the follow, one of the follow-up movies, Book of Vile Darkness. Check that one out. I've never even heard of that. A lot of people haven't. It's one of the, <laughs> there's actually a uh, church in Europe, and I wish I could tell you the country or the name of the church. They worship this movie. But there's a church oh. there where like the entire uh, sanctuary is made from bones. And they don't let anybody film movies in there because they feel like it's too, it would be disrespectful to all of the bodies that they used to build that church. 
but Book of Vile Darkness is actually filmed in that sanctuary. They use it for the big bad evil guy's lair in that movie, and wow. it's like the only movie that's filmed there. Why they let Dungeons and Dragons Book of Vile Darkness film in that sanctuary when they said no to so many other movies, I don't know. But if you want to, it's one of the only places you can see that church on film. So that's a nice little fun fact for you. Wow. Yeah, we have to check that out. So I did have an honorable mention as well. The adaptation of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which I will say that I really only kind of felt disappointed by along the same lines as as The Wrinkle in Time. And that yeah. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought it had some really good elements. But ultimately, I felt like it didn't give me the same feeling as reading the books did when I was a kid. And I've read that entire series every year for many, many, many years. And it was hard for me to like put, you know, put my finger on why, because there were some things that were great. Tilda Swinton is amazing. Um, a lot of, but I felt like just, I just didn't have that thing that I really wanted it to. That thing that like the Hunger Games had, or like some of the, I don't know, that when we get into the amazing adaptations, they all had that thing that captured the spirit of the book that I loved. That movie did not have it for me. And that's it. That's all of my that's fair. That's disappointments. Fair. All right. So we led with the negativity. Now it's time to put on our positive our glasses, our rose-tinted glasses, and talk about our favorites. So on the count of three, we're all going to say number one favorite fantasy sci-fi adaptation. One, two, Three, Lord of the Rings: The Galaxy. Ooh, good ones, good ones. We had, we had. It looks like me and you get a pizza. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, so I mean, I, I would, I really thought that was going to be it. We were all going to say Lord of the Rings. I, I thought for sure too. Yeah. Uncontested. Okay, I, I, Baron. I don't know how you thought that because I've made this confession on our podcast before. Um, I don't like. Oh, Lord that's of the right. Rings. Yeah, that's the right. books Maybe. or the movies. I, was um, just, I must have been talking to one of your variants. Look, <laughs> that's very brave of you. Let me let me. Here's why. Tolkien had an impossible task in writing a book that I would like because he had to invent modern fantasy in order to write mm. his book. Everyone mm. else gets the crutch of mm -hmm. using tropes, characters, races themes mm -hmm. that have already invented been invented by Tolkien. Now, mm -hmm. when I go back and try to read or watch those movies or read mm -hmm. those books, then he is trying to and he's doing a great job at showing and not telling. Like I'm the Silmarillion's more like a textbook and he didn't mm -hmm. make Lord of the Rings like a textbook. He showed the characters of the characteristics of the elves and he showed the characteristics of the dwarves and things like that. But he spends so much time doing it that mm -hmm. I just can't get into it. I mean, so like he don't he had an impossible task. He did as good as he possibly could have at that impossible task. But it's just something I'll never be able to dive into because of how how much he has to explain in order to make it work. I completely get it because as a guitar player, I'm not a fan of Jimi Hendrix. And, and it's exactly for the same reason. It's mm -hmm. because I've listened to 50 years of everybody else expanding upon what he invented. And when you go back, it just doesn't seem fresh. Right. 
but that's not why we were here. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so Baron, what, what do you love about the adaptation of the Lord of the Rings? The work that Peter Jackson put into that to make it as practical as possible was impressive to me. The fact that they followed the books as true as they could without making them eight hour long movies each, I believe was impressive. I'm going to miss my Tom Bombadil, but that's okay. We will get past that. I think that um, the acting in it was wonderful. I think they chose the perfect people to play every single role in this. I can't think of a bad choice. I mean, even the orcs that they had. I don't, how you guys are good. How stop. (laughs) It's just amazing. I don't know how they snuck Brit from the con the flight of the concords in there as an elf. Mm -hmm. They did it on every single one. It's just magic. The man is magic. Sometimes you see a movie and you see the actors kind of holding on to those roles as they're like one claim to fame. And it's like, you know what? I don't care. Let these (laughs) hobbits, let these hobbits be hobbits for the rest of their life because Mm -hmm. they're going to get paid for the rest of their life. They did great in these movies. They don't need to work anymore. You know what, guys? Mm -hmm. Stay with your families. Go to these cons. Do mm-hmm. your podcasts, Mary and Pippin. It's it's just great. I love it. Beautiful. And I can get past the differences from the book to the movie. I can so viscerally remember sitting in a theater and seeing a preview for the first Lord of the Rings movie and like looking at Chad and us just being like, oh, you know, that excitement and that, oh, is it going to live up to everything we love? And then it did. And then sitting down at home later, and watching these all the special features, and I don't know if you sat down and watched all of the extended special features with those movies as where they talk about the I making could. of. Yes, and like just the the painstaking work and the pride that like every single person in that movie put into it, from the the people who are making the brooches, and they'll talk about all of these details that don't even show up on the screen, but they the people making it just loved it so much that they made it as immersive as possible, you know, and then I, my favorite are the stories about Vigo Mortensen as Aragorn, uh, just pretty much becoming Aragorn for like however yeah. many years that they filmed. And he would, you know, he got like arrested walking down the streets of some town in New Zealand. Cause he was swinging his sword around just because <laughs> mm-hmm. he forgot that you can't just walk down the road with a sword, <laughs> practicing your fight choreography. They would offer to helicopter him up a mountain because they were shooting at the top and he would be like, Aragorn wouldn't take a helicopter and he would just run up the mountain, you know? So he would be appropriately sweaty at the top. It's uh, <laughs> for me watching all of that, you know, then you go back and watch it again. And for me, that just really increased how much I liked it. One of the first books that I really connected to uh, was the Lord of the Rings and uh, it was just really nice to see an adaptation live up to that expectation that I had. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I didn't pick this as my number one in large part because I anticipated that everybody would pick it as their number one. Sorry, Rick. Um, <laughs> but but what I will say about it is where I talked about my you know my least favorite being that the Lord of the Rings awful, awful, awful cartoon from the seventies or whenever it came out, you know, this, like talk about taking it full circle because I spent most of my life thinking and being told that we would never get a good 
Lord of the Rings adaptation. And when it actually happened, it was actually better than I could have imagined. So from just being absolutely dreadful to being just impeccable, I mean, just it's just a great experience. Oh, the Battle of Helm's Deep is one of the best things I've ever seen on film. I still, you know, never get tired of watching that scene in particular. Is there anything you would change about the adaptation? You know what? We won't talk about we won't talk about Tom Bombadil again. I mean, because um, that's that was gonna be I would say I would I'll, put in Bombadil. I, I would say additional I, bonus scene. Honestly, the one thing the one thing I missed the most was in the end. Mary and Pippin being complete badasses. Mary yes. and Pippin, like six inches taller, mm-hmm. you know, fully dressed in their armor and their rider of Roram uh, gear, and just riding through that thing in their ponies, just fighting orcs. I mean, that was an inspiration to a D and D character that I had actually, because Mary and Pippin are my absolute favorite. And when they got their their time to shine in that in that end. Mm-hmm. It, it's great. It, it, pretty much for them, I I was reading a coming of age story in the middle mm-hmm. of all of this. <laughs> Chad, lay your favorite adaptation on us. So my favorite adaptation is actually The Princess Bride. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. One of the most eminently quotable movies of all time. I think it might be... Like it's up there with like Dune and Jaws as one of those movies that I've watched like 40 times, 50 times. And I just, I'll watch it over and over again. I could watch it on a loop. It like, it wouldn't, it would, it would never get old to me, but also from the, from the standpoint of it being an adaptation, it's very true to the spirit of the original, although like all adaptations, it's not, you know, identical from a plot standpoint. And there are details in the book that don't make it to the movie, but just from an overall spirit of it being simultaneously like romantic, simultaneously adventurous, simultaneously having despicable villains and also being funny as hell. It's, it just takes the spirit of that book and translates it to film perfectly it it's it's one of the it's one of the only other ones that i can say really is is up there with like the lord of the rings just in terms of the quality of the adaptation and the spirit you know and how much it captures the way you feel reading the book and the fact that that it frames it with you know the way it frames it with fred savage and all that's just top notch i'll say the only reason that one didn't made it make it to my list is because i haven't read the book yet I exactly. own the book and I'm hoping the first time I read it will be when I'm reading it to my daughter. Same. It, it made it on my uh, honorable mention list for that exact reason. Definitely another movie that was perfectly cast. I can't think of a single person in that movie that didn't just kill it with their characterization. Mm-hmm. If there was any anything I would change about it is that I, I like I've watched all of the like interviews with all the cast members and all that stuff, because I'm, I'm just that into it, but it, it unfortunately doesn't have that six hour making of DVDs, <laughs> but if it did, I would watch every damn minute of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rick, what is yours? Lay it on us. Favorite adaptation. Hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. 
Nice. Nice. And I'm talking yeah, about the uh, the 2005 one with um, Mostef. I actually haven't seen that one. I would highly recommend it. Uh, I think at this point you can probably find it somewhere to watch on one of the streaming services, which you probably have access to. One of the things I love about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the creators have basically come out and said that every adaptation of it is the correct adaptation of it. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like, we wrote this book and then there was a radio drama and then there was more radio dramas and then there was a movie and then there was a text adventure game and then there was another movie and they're all great and they're all the correct quote-unquote version of the story no matter how much they go off from each other or how much they divert from each other they're all the quote-unquote correct version of the story just told from different perspectives so what did you like in particular about the 2005 version So the 2005 version was the first adaptation that I, um, that I saw after reading the book. Like I didn't see the old movie yet. I hadn't seen, I'm not even sure if you can get a hold of the old movie anymore. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I hadn't seen the old movie yet. I mean, I have seen it since, but I hadn't heard any of the radio dramas. I hadn't played the text adventure game and it's just, it's just fun from beginning to end. Like the songs they have in it, uh, they do a great musical number at the very beginning for so long. And thanks for all the fish. It's fantastic. Um, they invent a new character for the movie that isn't in the book played by John Malkovich, uh, who is fantastic. The way they handled uh, the president's two heads in this movie, I think was great because in the original movie, it was basically just, you know, the actor with the paper mache head sitting next to him. And in the 2005 version, you think he's only got one head, but then he flips his head up and there's another little head under here that does all the (laughs) under his chin that, that starts talking, uh, which I think is fantastic. Most deaf does a fantastic job as Ford prefect. A lot of people were upset that, a black person played Ford Prefect, which I think is garbage. I mean, it's just great. I'm going to beat myself up. I can't think of the name of the actor who played Arthur Dent. He played, yes, Martin Freeman. Um, Fantastic. I mean, what, who better to be Arthur Dent? Mm -hmm. Um, Bill Baggins himself. Right. I mean, like it just, (laughs) oh, and uh, Alan Rickman as the robot aboard the ship fantastic as marvin the 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 robot uh just the way he can apathetically deliver every single line it Uh it there's just nothing not to like about it so i watched the you know the old movie and and that's a good adaptation as well Mm -hmm. but now but now you got me excited to see the one with most deaf because i remember it coming out and i don't remember why it was it was when we were like thick with babies. That's why we didn't. <laughs> that's why we didn't watch it. So sure. <laughs> I mean, just couldn't. You couldn't not step on a baby. Just rampant with babies. It's just a baby infestation. I mean, yeah. It was like it was like the Tribbles or in our. I remember those days. It was, it was not like the Tribbles. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm saying it was a lot harder than that. <laughs> oh now, wow. The Tribbles with toddlers. Wow. <laughs> Troubles with toddlers. Get out. <laughs> so, so who's got a, an a honorable mention or a second? I know, Chad, you had a couple. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? I, I, I do have, I do have a second. I, 
I had something that I was going to write down, and I, now I can't remember what it is. So I'm just going to go with the original uh, Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah, well, very Classic. nice. Classic. Classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this and I chose this because if you've read the book and you watch the movie, it's so different. Yeah. It is a com- almost a completely different story. However they were both amazing in their own way. Like, I mean, you know, there's so much nuance and um, like lore that goes into the books that you don't get in the movie, but the movie was what it was. It was a work of visual art and that's exactly what it, it was. A work of visual art based on a book. It may not have been, story heavy but it, again it was it was what it was for when it was and it was perfect and even though it's not to your point like plot wise character wise point for point mm-hmm. accurate from an adaptation standpoint f- mm-hmm. from the perspective of the spirit yes top-notch. oh yeah yeah oh yeah Th- this is one of those few moments where you can be like oh they cut so much stuff out but it's still good i still get mm-hmm. it i get the same feeling Mm-hmm. And I think that's what matters. What about for you, Liz? What's what's number two? Oh, number two is and and was vying for the number one spot for me is the Expanse. I don't know if anyone that's has seen that that television series or read those books, but it is one of my absolute favorite science fiction book series. At first, I I tried to watch the show and I hated it. You know, because I did love this series so much and the the producers did make some kind of, well, I think I just went in with very high expectations as well. And I went in and there were little things that bothered me. Like I was like, why are they all so well-groomed? They're in space. Like, what do they have? Like waxing parlors? Like they're supposed to be, you know, all the actors are so pretty and little things like that I couldn't get over. But I, you know, I kept, people kept talking about how great the series was. And eventually I got past that kind of first season where they definitely made some character changes to add drama, which I didn't feel like needed to be added. But once I did, man, I it is really one of my favorite television series and book series now. Enough that I'm I'm disappointed that they didn't cover the last three books. And I understand why, because if if you've read that series, you know that the last three books makes a big time jump. Like they jump forward several decades. So the actors, you know, the characters are all, you know, in their 60s versus, you know, and that would have just been been difficult. But that series, that book series has one of the best endings I've ever read. Really like up there with Wheel of Time for me. I really, really loved the ending. So I'm hoping someday I have this like in my dream world, you know, that's going to, you know, 20 years from now, they're going to just get all the original actors back together and just shoot the end of the of of the book series. But really, you know, that that's one where later on, they also made some kind of major departures from the books. They combined a couple of characters to make another character and really improved, uh, you know, on the source material, which is unusual because usually I'm. I really want you to stick to the source material, but I really thought they did an excellent job with that series. Did I get you? You got like partway through that series with me. Uh, I I watched the first season and I read through book four. It's long. Yeah. It's long. <laughs> I'm not like done with it. I just, I think I read like the first four basically in a row. And then I don't know. I got ADD. I got distracted. <laughs> it's long. <laughs> 
But if you know, you know. Rick, what about you? Uh, my number two would probably be Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Based off of yeah. the graphic novel series, um, Edgar Wright got the benefit of creating the movie right alongside the graphic novel creator as he was finishing up the series. So both of them admit that they don't really know who came up with what as far as the ending of that series goes. So they were literally adapting each other, um, which is great. Yeah, and my, and the only reason why that didn't make my list is the only reason why Princess Bride didn't make yours because I haven't, because I haven't read the the graphic novel. That's fair. I, if you get a chance, highly recommend it. You can actually buy the whole thing as one book in full color now, um, which it's it's more expensive that way. But it, you know, it's it's good. Um, and to take an entire graphic novel series, like because the graphic novel series, the second book is called Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Like the the first book, I think, is Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life, and like you know, the whole thing to take it the whole thing and to jam it into one movie and do it as well as he did to take that big of a series, because um, it's seven books, I believe, and take it and put it into one. It fantastic. That is a, that is a phenomenal movie. Yes, in in every way, technical writing, characters, casting, it's just absolutely fantastic. At the end of the day, I'm a huge Edgar Wright fanboy as it is. <laughs> nice. Um, I, think, I think the only thing that I would have, I, I know this is your part, but the only thing I would have changed about that, and the only reason why I'm jumping in now is because I know no one's going to agree with me, is from the comics, they have this little thing where certain, it, they have to live in like a video game world. Mm-hmm. And like certain items or foods or stuff gives them certain buffs. And one of my favorite scenes was Scott Pilgrim in like a convenience store going through the different sodas. And he's like, well, I can get this kind of a buff from this and this kind of a buff from this. So if I drink this with this, it was great. (laughs) It was great. I wish I could have seen that in the movie. After Scott Pilgrim versus the world, um, I have to throw it. I've got to mention Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, oh, which one? Winona Ryder, Keanu uh, Reeves, Gary Oldman. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. For, for Gary Oldman, let me say that's the reason oh, I'm bringing yeah. it up is because man. of Gary Oldman's performance. He's been an old man his whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't bring that up. No, the Winona Ryder movie. No, in mixed company. Ooh. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, uh, we know that Winona Ryder is your Chris Pine, and that's that's, true, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last one I will mention will be Ready Player One. Obviously, not super faithful to the book; they changed right. a lot, but I think they did a fantastic job with it. The only thing I would change about that adaptation adaptation is the way they use the Iron Giant. And if yeah. you will spare me a rant. I will oh, tell you away. how I will tell you how I would have used the Iron Giant. Yes. Okay. So we get to that end scene. We're on the they're on the battlefield where they've called all the players out to help fight the Sixers. Okay. Sorrento is looking through his inventory of robots. He's just looking at stats. Sorrento doesn't know anything about their stories. He sees the stats of the Iron Giant, and Sorrento brings down the Iron Giant. Now he's on the Sixers side. He's the bad guy. Parzival looks up and realizes that the Iron Giant that Sorrento has summoned doesn't have the dent in his head. As we all know, Iron Giant's a good guy because the dent he gets in his head. Okay. 
he calls out across the battlefield and is like, can anyone dent his head? Can anyone put a dent in the Iron Giant's head? Like, like stop his rampage, right? People are pulling out RPGs. People are trying to drop bombs. People are hitting this thing as hard as they can. They can't hurt it. It's the Iron Giant. The thing's invincible, right? Then in the distance, we see a vehicle of some sort uh, zooming toward the battlefield. It's getting closer. We can see it's blue. All of a sudden, we see the blue falcon from the F-Zero series racing toward the battlefield, ejecting from the cockpit is Captain Falcon himself as he pulls back and yells, <laughs> Falcon Punch! Hits the Iron Giant in the side of the head, puts that dent in there. All of a sudden, the Iron Giant won't fight for Sorrento anymore. You know, he's Superman. He's fighting for the good guys. That's how I would have used the Iron Giant. I love it. I would give you the money to remake it. <laughs> I would. I don't have it, but. <laughs> but you you have to make Artemis actually Rubenesque, okay? Yeah, and, and actually really give her the birthmark. Yes, I was really disappointed they made her so, like, kind of Hollywood pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, she was supposed to be different looking. And they. I was just like, well, I was really looking forward to that. I tell you, if you have uh, any kind of fantasy or sci-fi and the main characters don't look like a bunch of underwear models, like, that's it. You've got my money. It doesn't even have to be that good. Like, (laughs) you know? So my number two is The Witcher. The Witcher! Uh, So I've never read the novels, but I played the games. So that's where it's a little bit of a technicality. Sure. Um, But... This the series is really good um, and really faithful to the overall world building. Of course, the plot itself is is different because it doesn't really doesn't really line up to any of the specific source material, at least not that I know of. Um, there's like 14 of those damn books, and I definitely haven't read them all. But just it, it's a really good series. I like the way it's done. I swear um, when they created Geralt from The Witcher, they thought of Jim Co- was it Caviezel? I can't remember. I can't never pronounce that dude's name. Like that dude looks exactly like that guy and talks exactly like the Witcher, but just uh, overall, I just, I really like the adaptation overall. And the second series uh, was a lot better than the first. Um, and the first one was good. The, um, the only thing I'm not a huge fan of is the casting of Siri, but it's difficult because they have Siri sort of being, played at like a specific age whereas in the series she's often either much younger or much older and mm-hmm. they have her kind of in between um so that's a little bit of a difficulty that i you know you, that's just the reality of it i don't think he gets enough props as an adaptation um it's uh henry cavill thank you i actually had to look it up because i'm like what is his name <laughs> um, the series needs more gwent and <laughs> also, I believe that the f- at least the very first season pays homage to the original books, because yes. I think the books are much like the Conan books mm-hmm. where you can just pick one up and read it. Mm-hmm. There is there is no order. Mm-hmm. There is no timeline. You just read it. And, you know, that that first season was just like, I don't know where the hell I am right now. 
Yep. <laughs> what? In a that good is, way. I, anyway. I read the first book. I read the first book and had a little trouble getting into it because it is just sort of a series of like vignettes. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like we're just jumping from story to story and trying to piece it all together. Um, so that's as I got as far as the first one. But then I watched you play the game for how many hours? Did I watch you play that game? <laughs> and I was like, no, normally I could go into another room if you're playing a video game, but I would find myself watching and like, I hope it gets to a cutscene soon. I want to find out what's happening. You know, it's a time the sink. story of that game is really good. And that got, you know, got me into the show. And I guess the question is, which is which adaptation am I talking about? Am I talking about the show or I'm talking about the game? They're, they're both really phenomenal. The other thing that, that I really liked about the show is um, the actress who plays Yennefer like really good? Th- like that is some phenomenal acting. I saw with the way that, that character's introduced. She was getting a lot of hate for this, and I'm like, hmm. why? And I think it's because she doesn't look like the character from the game. It's, it's got to be the only reason. You guys got to calm the f down because right. look first. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, just settle down, guys. Yeah, yeah. pretty much other than Gerald, Henry Cavill, pretty much none of the rest of the characters really look like them. Mm-mm. You know, um, the guy who plays Dandelion doesn't look anything like the Dandelion. Um, Triss Marigold couldn't be any more different um, than, the, than the Triss Marigold in the games and the novels. But it, um, but that's, but it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. You'll appreciate this because you are D&D players who like The Witcher. There's a YouTube video you can go watch by Z Bashu where he tells you how to create D&D monsters and D&D campaigns as if it were The Witcher, where you like beef up the monsters and like give it extra resistances and extra vulnerabilities to where your the characters can go out and research what the monster might be vulnerable to and then go get things that they can actually beat it because if they just go try to fight it be a super hard fight but instead they can go get their oils or go get their potions and like like you would in the witcher and go fight the monster that way fantastic video so so my other honorable mention and i'm i'm tapped out and this is a little (laughs) bit of a this is a little bit of a weird one because it is simultaneously my favorite and one of my least favorite adaptations at the same time and that is the 1984 version of dune I was going to say, are we going to talk about Dune or are we going to talk about Dune? (laughs) So, so that's one of the first, like, you know, I was nine years old when that movie came out. So it was one of the first, see, you know, like real movies I ever saw along with like Star Wars, but I, I liked it much more than Star Wars at the time. And I love Star Wars, but because it was more serious and dark and it just tapped into the, I was a dark twisted kid. So I like dark twisted stuff and it was dark and twisted. It was like a dark twisted star Wars. And I watched the movie first because you know, I wasn't old enough to read it at at the age of nine. And um, so it wasn't until years, like 10 years later that I read the book and I was like, this is nothing like the movie. (laughs) Like like they are not alike. (laughs) And there is a lot of shit to really not like about that movie. But for, you know, for my own purposes and for nostalgia purposes, that movie comes on. I'm watching it. I don't care what version it is. I don't care if it's six hours. I'm watching that damn movie. It, he he compulsively watches Dune when it comes on. I will say <laughs> it's a compulsion. 
I will say I will say that Dune showed me one thing, and that is Star Wars is a sci-fi TTRPG that George Lucas wrote based off of all the sci-fi at the time. Yeah, yes, definitely. It, it's like George Lucas was a fan of these things, and he made a movie out of them. Yes. And you were good at it. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say the the new Dune adaptation definitely is on my list of favorites. I only didn't talk about it because I knew you would bring it up. And I'll say I read, I didn't read the book Dune until after we'd been married a while because I had seen that movie from the 80s. And I, oh, God, why would I want to read a book that was anything like that? But um, (laughs) I finally read the book and it was completely different and I really did love it. The new adaptation was amazing and it was everything that I loved about the book. I thought it was beautifully cast. I thought it was beautifully styled. I can't wait for the second part to come out. Definitely. The 1984 movie is objectively the worst adaptation of Dune. Even the made-for-TV sci-fi channel one was so much better. So much better. But I still love it. I don't know what's wrong with me. No, no, I'm with you. I I do say that the one thing I miss about the first adaptation is the narration like this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All they do is talk like this the whole time, and you get a full exposition on what's going on. Yeah, history, 10,000 years of history going to be spoken to you in a- AMSR voice. The, um, <laughs> the the thing that I like about it that I think got me so much as a kid was the weird ass, like the monsters, and it's just got some imagery that when you're nine years old and it's 1984 and you have, you know, CGI and all isn't, you know, as good as it is now. And they show you that, you know, the, I can't, I, the space, you know, travelers, I can't think of the name of the things right now, who have been transformed by all the spice and they, they come through and they're like, you know, they got their short little arms and they're in the take, like, it freaks you out when you're nine years old. Oh, yeah. I, well, I was a kid. Like you said, you were a dark, creepy kid. I was watching Mr. Rogers and like I was into that wholesome stuff. Mm-hmm. And, there were certain movies that I saw that I just assumed were horror movies. <laughs> That's one of them. Weirdly enough, so was Ice Pirates. Moving uh, on. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was scary. And uh, The Secret of Nim, unintentionally oh, terrifying child movie. What a yeah. dark man. Don mm-hmm. Blue. Wonderful animation, but dark stories. It's like you took The Secret, you took Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim and turned it into that. Yeah. yeah. What the heck, man? <laughs> wow. Great book, by the way. In fact, that would go on my list as great adaptation to a book. The book was great. Yeah. The movie was great. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Honorable mention, Mr. Frisbee and the Resident. How about adaptations we're looking forward to? Are there any upcoming in the next year that you know about that you're looking forward to? I heard someone's going to adapt A Song of Ice and Fire. But I, mm-hmm. yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's, there is, you got the, um, you got the, um, the prequel one that you heard about, but right. they're now also talking about doing a sequel with Jon Snow. I heard, I heard that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't for the life of me imagine what it is, but I'll watch it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Might as well. Um, 
my big thing that I believe is slated to come out next year is the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Right. Honor Among Thieves. And they're going to. Hmm. We'll see. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, <laughs> I think, okay, I think D&D is big enough now, and there are enough people in the industry who like D&D now that they're not going to let them make garbage, I hope. There yeah, we're go. in sort of a confluence between where the interest in Dungeons & Dragons and the technology have kind of merged to a place where you can do it without needing to have a budget that's just so astronomically off the charts for what, you know, years ago would have been considered very much a niche film, but it's edging more into the mainstream. So I think, I think, you know, we've kind of reached a point where that's much more feasible. I, the best D and D movie I've seen so far is your highness. Um, yes. Which yes. if they can make that a good movie, they can make a good D and D movie. You're right. Well, and I don't know if you guys watch Stranger Things, but that show makes D&D look really cool. Yes. And in particular, the, the current season that just came out, they had a, you know, a lot of on-air D&D play that just looked really fun. It really made me want to jump up and, and play right away. I think we're going to win some people over is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, do, I do have one request to the D&D movie. If you could... Hire Matt Mercer to play at least 10 characters. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Fantastic. They each have a different voice, but he looks kind of the same. <laughs> yeah, we need at least 10 oh, NPCs. At least 10. In fact, you know what? You know what would be great is if they got all the big D&D let's play like live live play DMs and put them in as spoken uh, NPC. So like, you know, mm-hmm. him, Brennan Lee Mulligan, uh, Bria <laughs> Iyengar, you know, all those people who have DM games. Ginny D. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, how she, does she do a live play? Uh, I know she does a live play and she actually DMs for D and yeah. D in a castle now. Heck mm-hmm. yeah. Heck yeah. Throw her in too. Yeah. Any, any of them that have any of them that have DM'd a game, put them in as an NPC. I want to see mm-hmm. it. You, you have my money. Oh, yeah. Uh, they would get I, everybody I am, straight up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, in particular, am really looking forward to the new version of Willow or oh, the the sequel yes. to Willow that's coming out. I'm really stoked. I, I, I never knew that if that was an adaptation. Yeah, I didn't know if that was an adaptation, so I didn't mention it, mm-hmm. but that is one of the best. 80s fantasy movies ever mm-hmm. oh yeah there's I, I've read the book and they had a whole series that continued that actually was really good Look, um, that y- continued the story on one of our podcasts I go on for about 15 minutes about one guy's sword so you could tell that I'm really excited about it there <laughs> yeah. is choice I know the exact sword you're talking about right there is choice language <laughs> in here so if there are children listening don't go listen to that because it gets raunchy but <laughs> I really liked that sword <laughs> as as far as i go i think this technically isn't upcoming since it came out this week but oh, i haven't seen it yet so we're gonna we're, i'm gonna mention this umbrella academy season three oh, came yeah. out this week i haven't seen it either I yeah saw a, and I saw, I saw a gif 
of the Umbrella Academy and the and the sparrows dancing. It was like a second long. And just that little gif of them dancing has me so excited for this show. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> I will be binging that very soon. Yes, very excited for that. A lot of people don't know that's a comic book that Gerard Way wrote. Gerard so, Way? Yeah. Crazy? <laughs> but yeah, it is an adaptation. And uh, I, I know we won't we won't see him in season three, but Hazel is my guy. I mean, I'm going to be cosplaying him at, at the next convention I go to. So, um, yeah, I, I love that series. I'm stoked for season three. I want to know how they kept five looking like he's 12. Right? It's just one of those faces. They're like making him smoke cigarettes and drink coffee in between <laughs> filming. <laughs> to stunt his growth. Hormone blockers. Hormone blockers. It's like, sorry, man, you're worth too much. And he's like, I get it. I get it, guys. I, I you know, I'm going to be able to do this next season. It's going to be a great time. It's like, uh, do the, don't do your voice like that. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, what's an adaptation that everybody would like to see made? Oh, Dresden Files. Oh, yeah. So what did you think of the TV show they Hated had? Hated it. Okay, yeah. now, now here's the deal. I loved it. Loved it. It inspired me to read the books. Mm-hmm. And that was its biggest mistake ever. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no comparison. Although I love the actor. What was his name? I can't remember his name, but yeah. He was good. He was yeah. a good Harry Dresden. Yeah. Though. Oh, yeah. I, agreed. I believe that if they were to do well there for a while, if they did a, a modern one, I wanted the guy from Mad Men doing it. I can't remember his name, though, but he would have been great. Is it John Hamm? Yes. yes. John Hamm. Even even I don't really like him. I don't really like him. But uh, the guy that played Sam in Supernatural would have been good, too. Yes. The adaptation that I would really love to see that I don't think we're ever going to get is I would love Lies of Locke Lamora. Mm. Not that not, not uh, familiar with it. Yeah, the Gentleman Bastard series by Scott Lynch. It's really an excellent series, in it, but it's also written in a very cinematic way in that you can really just you can just picture the action. It's got a lot of humor. It's got a lot of great dialogue. Definitely recommend that series if you haven't read it. Yeah, I can only imagine it hasn't been adapted because nobody in Hollywood has actually read it yet because it <laughs> comes off the so page. Good. Yeah, it really like, does. <laughs> it really does. It's 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 like practically a screenplay. There's right. someone who's written a screenplay for it and is like pitching it and like trying to get rights and like it's it's been in yeah. it's been in like you know not greenlit hell for forever. I'm I'm willing yeah. to bet. Yeah. Is Lies the Lies of Locke Lamora the first book? Yes. All right, it's on my wish list. Nice. I would so for me I'd pick another very kind of obscure series. There's a time travel. Oh god, it's it's a little fluffy, okay? It's sort of a time travel series called The Chronicles of St. Mary's. It's my comfort read. I read it four times during the pandemic. But when I started watching um, Shondaland, uh, when I watched Bridgerton and um, uh, Inventing Anna by Shonda Rhimes, I want her to adapt this series. I just feel like if I if I ever get a billion dollars, that's what's happening for you guys. Oh, it's over for all the bitches if I ever get a billion dollars. <laughs> all of them. 
I'm going to be like, I want this TV series made. I'm like, <laughs> with what money? This money. Make it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, one I missed in the one I'm looking forward to category is Paper Girls. Oh, that's I've right. I've heard of that. I've heard They're of making that. Paper Girls. Yeah, that's a Brian K. Vaughn who also wrote Why the Last Man and Saga. That's a really great series. And it's going to be, I think that's going to be a good family friendly Oh yeah, it may I may not be that family friendly. I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel can't like believe it was family friendly ish. I can't believe we haven't brought this up yet. But like the the Lord of the Rings series for Amazon Prime <gasps> is, oh, yes. is being made. Oh, I am yes. I am lustful for that movie as well. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I'm excited for that too. That elf catching that arrow out of the air. I am going to propose marriage to that scene. Not that elf, not that arrow, that scene. Yes. yes. So good. All right. I'm going to rapid fire a bunch of things I want adapted at you real quick. Okay. Let's hear it. Like I said, I started my book reading career with Animorphs. Uh, they made an Animorph series for like Nickelodeon, I think it was, a very long time ago. Not super great. I think we've got the technology to make it better now. Let's mm-hmm. see, like, a Disney Plus series for Animorphs. Come on, guys. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Armada by Ernest Klein. I think they did oh, a great yeah. job with yeah. Ready Player One. Armada is basically the last Starfighter. But, you know, mm-hmm. now let's do it. Let's see. It's not a, not, a, not a book, but I'd love to see a Fallout series based off of the Fallout video games. Yeah. Um, there's an excellent fan-made series called Nuka Break on YouTube. If you can mm-hmm. find it, and if that can oh, be yeah. that good, made by fans, give them a budget. Be oh, fantastic. Yeah. The mm-hmm. story behind the main character. Mwah. Go ahead. <laughs> <It's fantastic. laughs> um, and the other ones have left my head. So, like, stop me now while it's while they're gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, name well, of the I'll... wind. Name of the wind. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah that that would be a great movie. Um, as well, I'll, I'll throw one that that I'd like to see adapted. Absolutely, hundred percent has to be either a video game, like uh, an in-depth one, like The Witcher, or an anime-style series, and that is uh, Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. Yes, I could see that being being an anime style. A lot of material there. Yeah. So there's one thing that we haven't mentioned that if we don't mention it, we will all have to go and spend the rest of our lives north of the wall. Game of Thrones. That doesn't sound. Oh, well, but to be fair, going north of the wall doesn't sound too terribly bad. I, uh, I didn't see what happens with climate change. I didn't watch it. I started watching it. Um, I didn't finish it. Uh, here's my problem with the Song of Ice and Fire as a book and my problem with Game of Thrones as a series. I really like the stories of Daenerys and of Tyrion. There's a lot and of here's, names. If I'm watching it for Tyrion's story and the book, both the book and series do is they cut away from Tyrion and then days later I finally get back to Tyrion after reading or seeing a bunch of characters that I don't care about, <laughs> I, I, it's it's not worth it to me. So this is why I did not finish reading nor watching 
A Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones. But I will say that as far as an adaptation goes, the the movie or the the movies, the shows so much better. This is one of those rare times where I can say that a a film adaptation of something is better than the books. And I'm not saying the books are bad, but it's hard to keep up on. And also were never finished. Um, So it's it's easy for me to say that it was better because it took something really, really complicated in terms of like political turmoil and turned it into something more palatable for me to consume. So yeah, this is going to be one of those few times where I'll say that the adaptation was better. That and Forrest Gump. That's fair. If you've ever read Forrest Gump, it's yeah. a shit book. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for, for me, Game of Thrones, you know, I... I liked, I loved the books. Um, I loved the show. I didn't love the ending. I thought it, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't make it, it just took it out of being from my top two and not also being my bottom two, you know, it was solid. I really loved what was good about it. Um, you know, I look forward to the end of the books. Yeah. And I think that's why it didn't make any of my list for the exact same reasons, because it wasn't the best adaptation. It wasn't the worst adaptation. It was a pretty mediocre experience overall, but it's so incredibly pervasive in the internet and so popular and so popular amongst podcasters. If we didn't mention it, we'd get fired. That's true. Well, I That's also true. feel like that series really opened a lot of doors for the fantasy genre in television and the popularity Absolutely. Uh, that it had gave us a lot of gave us a lot of series that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have made the Witcher. Um, Definitely not. Or wheel of time or wheel of time. Mm-mm. And again, that was one, not the best, not the worst. I'm so glad it's there. So, yeah. So a song of ice and fire is my favorite book series ever. And it's going to make my life hurt because it's never going to get finished. He's never, you know, it's never going to happen. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> holding out hope. It's not going to happen. Keep He's the never expectations gonna low. It's never going to finish the series. It's not going to happen. So it's, it hurts me that what is my favorite series is never going to get a good ending. And the beginning of a game of Thrones was phenomenal. And it kind of petered off at the end. I still don't think it was like as bad as a lot of people are making it out to be. Um, I still think it was good. It was enjoyable. But the ending is the part that's, that wasn't that good. They rushed through the ending. And that is the only ending I get. Kind of sucks. <laughs> You'll always have an ending in your mind. <laughs> whichever one you want. So yeah, I just felt it was a job requirement that we address it. <laughs> we have to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> I think that might be one of the reasons uh, George R. R. Martin hasn't finished yet is because he saw the internet's reaction to the end of Game of he Thrones had, and was like, it. he was like, oh God, he was like, I have to make the perfect ending so I don't get crucified on the internet. But you know, the thing about it with him, and of course it depends, like there are certainly, you know, there's certainly plenty of people who don't like those books, right? Completely get that. But if you are a fan of those books, 
it's not because of like you know a plot point it's because of the way that he builds the characters and and makes you invested in the world and the reason why the ending wasn't that good is because it was rushed and you know it's like if somebody takes you know somebody takes a phenomenal series and tries to explain it to you in 4 minutes you're like oh my god i watched this great movie last night it was this and then a shark came out and blah 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 and it ate and there were lasers like you're like what the fuck is that well that's what we got with game of thrones he's also gone on record as one of the authors who thinks that internet theories are ruining modern media um, because he thinks that if someone guesses whatever it was he was about to write, that he can't write that anymore, which I disagree. Um, but it's, it's also been so long that everyone has theorized every possible ending. So he needs to just, I don't know, get over himself and write his ending, regardless if somebody's guessed it or not. I I can remember being so angry at the Wheel of Time, because I think that there's a rumor that that happened. There was a, a trail that definitely Robert Jordan was laying through wheel of time that uh, a bunch of fans then theorized that this was going to happen. And then the rumor was that he read that and changed, changed it because of that. But that's been going on for a while. I, I don't think that's necessary. Personally, I firmly believe that that's what happened with the last Jedi. Hmm. Mm, yeah. Because if you watch that movie and look at the theories that were online, you're like, this guy pretty much points out every theory that was out there and then takes a left turn every time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, my guy subverting expectations is cool when it's not done all the time. Right. Or on purpose. Right. Yeah. It's not the only element. (laughs) (laughs) It it shouldn't be. Yeah. We have to have some expectations for you to subvert anything. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a right way to do it. Um, Kevin Smith talked about when he was writing Red State, the movie, about as he was writing that script, every time he knew what he was going to write next, he changed it. And I think that's a good way to subvert expectations, to like let all the fan theories come out and go, oh man, I can't write that now. Why not? Like, let them get it right. There's there there's nothing wrong with that. Just because they guessed what it was you were going to... It doesn't make it simple. It doesn't make it bad. Just yeah, write, God, write your book. Write your story. God forbid there are smart fans out there that know how <laughs> stories work. God forbid. And that, they, and that they care so much about your material that they read it and read it and read it looking for the clues. I can't That's tell not a you... Negative. I can't tell you how many times as a dungeon master, I've done the opposite thing where players have guessed where the story was going to go. And I like their ending better. So I take it like, I'm like, yep, you're right. That's it. And I change my notes. Like just, yeah. And and you know what? And that person who guessed it, guess what? They feel a little better about themselves Mm -hmm. and they, they feel a little more invested in this movie. It's like, come on. Uh, this was again, an unexpected rant. They need, need to put us in charge. Uh, Billion dollars over for these bitches. <laughs> well, I think we've solved uh, genre media. My Give me a million dollars. Congratulations. Very Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Podcast, gentlemen. So, so, so 
So what we need is we need someone to give us a billion dollars. We are the writing team for the next movie that is going to break box office records. Um, Consider this our grant application. (laughs) We've done no work. None. No experience. Please give us money. Yes. (laughs) We've done nothing to deserve this. Give us the money, please. Hey, Rick and Baron, thank you so much for joining us. This was an awesome and very productive podcast. Oh, it's our pleasure. Really appreciate it. it you want to let our listeners know where they can find you? Nope. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, in I'm in hiding. I've I've told people this from the beginning. The easiest way to find us is just to Google Casters Guild Podcast because we're the first result. Um, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Um, if you'd like to interact with us, the best way to do that is our Discord, which you can find the link to in a description of every one of our episodes. We're very active on Discord. Uh, or you can email us at castersguild at gmail.com. I mean, we both have. We both have like Twitter accounts too. Yeah, but I, we're not used to promoting ourselves. By the way, I don't use them. That, that's the thing. I don't like. I if do. you actually want me to, res- I'll, I'll let Baron go in a minute. But if you actually want me to respond to something, message me on Discord. All right. So you can find me at Baron Kane at just about anything. B a r o n c a i n. I'm on TikTok. I'm on inter- Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I've only got a couple followers on each of them, so I'd be happy to see you. Um, but yeah, I, I pretty much interact um, unless you're creepy. And very soon we're going to have the Duke and Duchess on our podcast. <gasps> so what? very excited. Come and check us out. We'll be talking about the books that made us geeks. Yes. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So do you want to tell them where we, they can find us? Or are we going to do that again? Or Oh, no, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you can find us by searching the Duke and Duchess podcast. We did eventually change our podcast name to the Duke and Duchess book club because after five years, we realized that the word podcast was redundant. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the D&D podcast. Can you believe we got D&D podcast? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and then pretty much everything else on the Duke and Duchess. And if you want to interact with us, the best way to interact with us is on our Facebook group page. Now, be careful. We have a Facebook fan page that I created before I knew anything. And then I realized that we had to create a group page if we wanted anybody to actually talk about anything. <laughs> right. And then that's, that's the place that you can hang out and, uh, and interact with us. So that is all we have gentlemen. Again, thank you so much for coming and good night, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.